you have your Bible this morning, we're going to begin our time in the book of Ephesians. You will turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Last Sunday we began a topical series on being united as the body of Christ. That united we stand and divided we fall. Because clearly as we read through the scriptures and particularly the New Testament and to the epistles, we see that the Bible makes it very clear and it's explicit that we are to do all that we can to maintain peace with one another in the body of Christ. As we know from the book of Romans, in Romans 12, 18, it says there, If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. So last Sunday, we started looking at things that contribute to conflict in the church. Things that can contribute to there being divisions and quarreling in the church. And we're looking at these things for the purpose of avoiding these things in our life. Avoiding things that make it difficult to maintain peace and unity as one in the body of Christ. Now last Sunday we started out by looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, chapter 3, and chapter 4 where we saw that the church at Corinth had made a serious mistake whereby they had began to divide up into what I called unnecessary camps in the church. And that's something that all churches must avoid doing, that is, dividing up in unnecessary camps in the church, and the division was coming under the pastors or the preachers that they were identifying with, that they were lining up under insisting that this was the the preacher or the kind of pastor that there was to be there at the church at Corinth. And the mistake that they were making is that they were going beyond Scripture. That is, they weren't looking at the character of the man. They They weren't looking at his competency. They weren't looking at his capability. They weren't looking at his being a faithful, trustworthy man What they were looking at, they were looking at his preaching and they were looking at his personality. And even when they looked at his preaching, they weren't looking at the right thing. The church there at Corinth should have been looking at a pastor and a preacher and the the teachers of their church and what it is that they were preaching. They should be looking at the substance of it, the message that was being preached. But there were no problems with any of the messages or the substance of what was being shared by the preachers that they were identifying with. Remember, it was Apollos, Paul, and Peter. And all three men were sound in their Bible knowledge, sound in their theology, servants of the church, shepherds of the church, expositors of Scripture, men that had been successful in the ministry, had a significance in the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. All three men were mighty in the Scriptures, able to use them with skill. So that wasn't the issue of why it is that they were dividing up in the camps that they were. 
No, when it came to the preaching of these men, in particularly between Paul and Apollos, the two things they were looking at that they shouldn't have been looking at was the style of their preaching and the success of their preaching. The style and the success. Paul and Apollos were different in their style and how they delivered the message. And the success that they had was different depending on who was more impacted during the time when Apollos was there and who was more impacted when Paul was there. And what they had forgotten was is that it's not about the style, but it's about the Spirit of God working in the hearts of the people. It wasn't the success that they should have been crediting either to Paul or to Apollos. They should have been crediting the success of the ministry that Paul had there to God, the success of the ministry that Apollos had there to God. And maybe even there was a time whenever Apollos was there and he was preaching and teaching that all that was really going on at that time was the planting of the Word of God in people's hearts. And, and then it was going to be later that God was going to use it to grow them and see people coming to Christ or just growing them as believers in the faith. And Paul was just reminding the church at Corinth, don't do this. Don't divide up into unnecessary camps in the church by looking at me or as Apollos as anything more than what we really are, and that is just servants. We're just being trustworthy. But also they made the mistake of looking at the personalities of these two men. Paul and Apollos had different personalities. Remember, we see the description of Apollos as a man that was mighty in, in the scriptures, fervent in spirit. And then we see what they were saying about Paul. They were saying, this is a man that when he's here with us in person, he's just not very impressive. His presence to us just doesn't strike us as others do. And they were looking at these things, forgetting, beloved, that as God calls men to be leaders in the church and pastors and preachers in the church, that none of them are going to be exactly the same. There's not a cookie-cutter pastor that God shapes in that sense in regards to personalities, in regards to styles of preaching, or even success in preaching. That's all something shaped by God Himself, where there is a diversity in the body of Christ. Not only that, if you really stop and you think about it, if every, if every church, if you, if you go to any church, an average church, and you go and you did a survey and you poll people in that church, I don't care if it was a church that had 10 people in it or has 1,000 people in it, you're going to get a variety of preferences of what people desire when it comes to style or when it comes to success or when it comes to the personality of the preachers, the teachers, the leaders in the church. So that's not what would keep folks united, what would keep them united is that when they're staying within the bounds of Scripture, and this is what Paul was encouraging them to do, stay within the bounds of Scripture and just make sure that the man that is preaching and teaching and leading and the men that are doing that in the church there at Corinth, make sure it is those who have the character that is described according to the Word of God who are competent and capable and just trustworthy and cherish that man and cherish those men as they 
minister the word of God. So one of the things we need to avoid is unnecessary camps in the church. But now this morning, I've had you turn to Ephesians 4. Because there's something else that all churches need to avoid so that it doesn't lead to disharmony and quarreling and divisions and conflict in the church. And the second thing I want us to look at is avoiding unprofitable conversations in the church. Avoiding unprofitable conversations in the church. What I mean by unprofitable is things that don't encourage or help yourself or others grow in Christ-likeness, grow in godliness. That is, I'm saying when we gather together and when we're conversing with one another or when there's the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God in the body of Christ, things that are about Scripture and about life and our life together in Christ that those things are going to be helping someone to understand Scripture better so as to grow in Christ-likeness. Now, don't misunderstand when I say unprofitable conversations in the church. I'm not saying that we can't have conversations together in the body of Christ or discussions together in the body of Christ when we're gathering together or socializing together where we're talking about something else besides Scripture. We can and we should. We can get together, whether it's individually with some folks and, or even as a church sometimes just be talking about different things. We can socialize together and, and talk about sports or talk about politics or current events or just many other things. What I'm saying here is when we're looking at these scriptures, we're going to see that it is, if we want to help avoid division and conflict in the church, there are certain unprofitable conversations that we need to make every effort to avoid, to stay away from, because they tend to create or contribute to division and disharmony in the church. And one of those we find here in Ephesians 4. Well, notice with me, beginning in verse 29, Paul says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. But only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And what I want you to see here is what Paul is telling them is, is make sure that you avoid conversations in the body of Christ that are not going to be profitable. As he says there in verse 29, it is good for edification. So make sure there aren't things and words coming out of your mouth that are not going to be building up others. Unwholesome words. Words that are not going to be honoring of God or honoring of others. He goes on to clarify even a little more when he says, let all bitterness and wrath, and then he says, anger, clamor there. That is the outcry of strife and slander. He says, let all those things be put away from you. Avoid those things. Stay away from those things along with all malice. 
that is saying things or doing things and saying things about others with the intent of harming them, hurting them, slandering them, that is defaming a person's character. Paul is saying, make sure these types of unwholesome words are not coming out of your mouth. That if there's something that you need to speak, if a person needs to speak or have a conversation with someone else about, you make sure as you look back here in verse 29, no unwholesome word proceeds from your mouth, but only such a word is, is, is this going to be good for edification? And is it timely and that is it according to the need of the moment because you're wanting to give grace to those who hear it. You want to give grace to those who hear it. That little phrase reminded me of what the Apostle Paul says over in Colossians chapter 4 where he says in verse 6, let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. You see, beloved, if we're not careful to make sure that our words when we share are seasoned with grace, seasoned with salt, good for edification, for the need of that moment, then it can end up bringing division, quarreling in the body of Christ. Clearly, when we think about here this idea of unwholesome words. One of the things we would add to that would be the word gossip. Gossip does not bring unity in the body of Christ. Gossip is, is only about good just to bring disunity in the body of Christ. And just to remind us of that for just a moment, I want you to go back with me in the Old Testament. I want you to just to be reminded of some things that the Word of God says about this subject. Go to the book of Proverbs for just a moment. Go to Proverbs chapter 16. And just remind of what Paul just said there in Ephesians 4 where he says, Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth and make sure that you remove malice and strife. In Proverbs chapter 16, in verse 28, it says, A perverse man spreads strife. He's spreading disunity, and a slanderer separates intimate friends. The slanderer is going about with the intent of defaming a person's character, and in so doing, he's actually trying to bring division where there was no division between intimate friends. Look over in Proverbs chapter 20 for a moment. Proverbs chapter 20. Verse 19 says, He who goes about as a slanderer reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a gossip. Don't associate with the gossip. The slanderer is just going about trying to reveal secrets. And all it does is end up separating people who were once together. Or if you will, one other place, go to Proverbs chapter 26 for a moment. Go to Proverbs chapter 26. Verse 20. It says, For lack of wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no whisperer, contention quiets down. 
Like charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. The words of a whisperer are like dainty morsels. They go down to the innermost parts of the body. He's saying, look, when, when, we're, when there's the words of the slanderer and the whisperer and the gossiper that is going on, what is that? It's just like charcoal to hot embers. It's like wood to fire. It just keeps feeding the fire. But if we refuse to be a part of that, beloved, it will put out the flame. Contention quiets down where there is no whisperer that is going on. So clearly as we think about this from Proverbs to Ephesians, we see that some of the unprofitable conversations that need to be avoided in the body of Christ are these types of conversations of gossip, slander, clamor, malice. Because they're not profitable. In fact, they're harmful to the body of Christ. But it's not just those types of conversations in the church that need to be avoided. There's some other interesting thing for us to consider. I want you now for a moment, go over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Because there are certain conversations that need to be avoided in the church whereby this has something somewhat to do with discussions in regard to Scripture. Discussions in regard to Scripture. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, notice here what Paul says. Begin reading along with me, beginning in verse 14. He says, remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God. And here's what he's charging them to do. Do not wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. He says, first off, remind them of the things they're supposed to be doing. And once you've reminded them that, he says, now solemnly charge them, that is, require them. He's talking, he's telling Timothy, Timothy, remind the church and require of the church there at Ephesus that they don't go about wrangling about words. That idea they're wrangling about words literally pictures a war over words. Word battles is what he's speaking about here. Getting into word battles. Now, this is, what, this is not what Paul means by that. Paul here is not speaking about that we shouldn't be careful in how we interpret Scripture. He's not saying there that when he says don't go about wrangling about words that we shouldn't be precise in our understanding of Scripture. And the precise words of Scripture as though they don't matter, they do matter. They matter so much, beloved, you could go back and look in the teachings of Jesus where Jesus was making the argument about the resurrection based on the difference and the tense of a verb found back in the book of Exodus and Exodus chapter 3. When they came to him questioning him about the resurrection, Jesus went back and said, what does this verb tense say? 
That's how precise Jesus was between a past tense or a present tense. So that's not what Paul is saying when he's saying don't go about wrangling about words. And Jesus taught that the smallest letter of the law would not pass away without it being fulfilled. It is important for us to study Scripture and to study it with precision to understand exactly what it's saying, the nuances of what it's saying. In fact, if you go on and read there in verse 15, he's saying instead of wrangling about words, what we should be about doing is diligently, zealously, zealously presenting ourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, but one who is accurately handling the word of truth. We are supposed to be zealous about Scripture, zealous about understanding it, it rightly, But beloved, as we think about that, Paul is not saying, when he says they're wrangling about words, that we're not supposed to be growing in spiritual knowledge through Scripture. We are. That is very important. There's the need for us to grow spiritually in our knowledge and our understanding. There's a need for us to be accurate in handling the word of truth. Truth matters, and truth matters greatly to God. And error always causes harm. But he's, and he's not talking here, and he says, don't go wrangling about words. He's not saying, don't contend for the faith. Because we know in the book of Jude, in Jude in verse 3, it says there, I'm writing you to contend for the faith. Not only that, we can go back and look at the life of Paul, and we see this is a man who was contending for the faith. He contended for the faith there at the church at Antioch in Acts chapter 15 when some Judaizers showed up distorting the gospel of grace through faith in Christ alone. And Paul and Barnabas stood up and began to have dissension with these men about that, debating these men about this. It was Paul, as we've talked about before, who confronted Peter to his faith in the presence of all and began to have a discussion and challenging him about the, the gospel and some things that Peter was doing there over in Galatians chapter 2. It was Paul who stood up there in Athens on Mars Hill in Acts 17 and was proclaiming the gospel to those philosophers and those that were there at that time. Paul was serious about contending for the faith. Paul was serious about the church growing in their knowledge and their understanding, which meant they had to have discussions. They had to work through things together. It's not wrong, beloved, for us to talk about Scripture and even talk about exactly what does this verse mean and wrestle with it and talk through it and work through it and discuss it. Iron sharpens iron, as the Word of God says. But what he's speaking about here, he's talking about, on one hand, those that all they want to do is to debate in the church. Or all they want to do is just fight over the, some peripheral issues and not get back to the heart of things. Don't wrangle about words in that way. That is, any time that you, we are studying our Bibles and we're reading God's Word, That you're doing it to have knowledge, but knowledge that will lead to godliness. Not just to have knowledge for knowledge's sake, 
Because if you're doing that, beloved, you're heading for spiritual trouble. You're heading for pride. That is, when we study our Bibles, we need to be asking ourselves the question of, what does this teach me about God? What does this teach me about me? And what do I need to do with it now in my life? How does this apply to my life? Paul here is combating those who like to get into these intellectual banters over obscure points of doctrine. But they're not really seeking to grow in obedience to God. They just want to show their superior intelligence, win the theological debate. That's not the point of Scripture. That's not the point of our scriptural knowledge. The point of our knowledge of God's Word is to know God more and to have God changing our life to make us more like Christ. We're not here just to display our knowledge on peripheral matters that don't lead to godliness, but can just simply just lead to pride. As one commentator, Milne, said, he says, words, in this sense, he's talking about this wrangling about words, he says, it's when words become an end in themselves, and they alienate parties. Technicalities get in the way of truth, and core issues like righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come are never addressed These controversies are full of heat but no light and lead to schism in the church and spiritual catastrophe for those who allow themselves to be sucked into them. Notice again what Paul says there in 2 Timothy 2.14. He says, don't go wrangling about words because it's useless and here's what it leads to, the ruin. That word there for ruin is the word that we have in English for catastrophe. It leads to the ruin for the hearers. It can ruin them. As one commentator, Alfred Plummer, said about this word, this verse, he says, the word splitter wrangles not for the sake of arriving at the truth, but for the sake of dialectical victory. And here the apostle says that such disputes are worse than worthless. They tend to no profit. On the contrary, they tend to the subverting of those who listen to them. The audience, instead of being built up in the faith and principle, find themselves bewildered and lowered. They have less affection for the Word of God. Building them up. We need to make sure that we don't engage in those kind of conversations just for argument's sake. That we are to engage one another in conversations. I mean, this is a part of discipleship that we've talked about. We are to be discipling one another, talking with one another, speaking the truth to one another in love. But we're doing that for the purpose there, even as it says in Ephesians, for the building up of the body of Christ. That what we talk about when we get together in that way is going to be edifying. That's why when you read over in 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, where Paul is making clear to the church at Corinth that when they were gathering together and they were assembling together, that they were making sure that what they were doing was going to be edifying. Seek for the edification of the church. Seek for the edification of the body of Christ. If it wasn't going to edify, he said, basically, be quiet. Stop the conversation. Stop the preaching. Stop the teaching. Stop it. 
That's why whenever he said, whenever in those days when there was still the gift of tongues that was operating, remember what he said? He says that there's somebody who has a tongue to share, but there was no interpreter. He said, tell them to sit down and be quiet. Why? Because there's no one there to interpret what it is that this person's saying, which means no one in the church was going to be edified by it. That's why he said, seek actually more the gift of prophecy than the gift of speaking in tongues because the gift of prophecy would be in the language that they could hear and they could know and it was divine revelation being given by God directly to that prophet to speak to that church that would be edifying to the church. It's for edification. So he's saying avoid these types of conversations, even when it's about theology in that sense. But also, beloved, he is saying here to the church, and thus God's word is speaking to us and saying, when he says wrangling about words, getting into these war of words, he's saying also make sure that you are avoiding false teachers and their teachings. Because see, this was the practice of the false teachers. They wanted to wrangle about words. They wanted to get into word debates. Not as though they were coming there with a heart to truly, really try to understand what the Bible was teaching. They were similar to the crowd that would approach Jesus, the religious leaders. Remember, they would come up to Jesus and they would ask him questions. They weren't really asking him questions, really seeking the truth about what it really meant. They were asking loaded questions because they were trying to trap Jesus. They were wanting to get into these word debates and discussions with Jesus. And obviously it didn't take very long for Jesus to ask a question or two, or two of his own back to them and they would go home quiet because they couldn't answer what it is he was asking. But this is a part of what he's talking about here. In fact, just to remind you of that, go back to 1 Timothy for just a moment. Go back to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Go back to 1 Timothy chapter 1. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, He's writing to Timothy and he says in verse 3, I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on in Ephesus, and here's why, so that you may instruct certain men. He's talking about certain men in that church. Instruct them not to teach strange doctrines. Things that were strange that were not sound doctrine. Part of that was paying attention, he says there in verse 4, to myths, endless genealogies. And here's all this does. When there's spec whenever you have these myths and genealogies, and, and, and he says all this does is just give mere rise to speculation. People just start speculating about what may be rather than it furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. He's saying, look, when they're teaching, you make sure that what they're teaching is actually going to be furthering the purposes and the plan of God. 
and just bringing up mere speculations about things, getting back to genealogies and, and looking into certain genealogies and speculating about this and speculating about that and making all kinds of claims about this and that. Paul is saying, Timothy, instruct those men to stop doing that because all it does is lead to just more speculation. Thus people begin to lose confidence in the Word of God. They're leaving there more questioning the Bible than actually believing it, trusting it. That's why he'll go on to say, say in 1 Timothy, go over to chapter 4, verse 7, where he says, but have nothing to do with worldly fables. Don't have anything to do with that. Or as he says, look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 3. He says, If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, notice what he says about this, this person. He says, He is conceited. He understands nothing. But here's what he does have. He has a morbid interest I mean, this person is just sick about this. And what does he have an interest in? Controversial questions. And disputes about words. That phrase there, disputes about words, is the same word that Paul uses over in 2 Timothy 2, 14, where he says, do not wrangle about words. He's saying this is what false teachers want to do. They want to just, they're, they're just consumed with controversial questions and just disputes about words. And what happens from this? What does this cause in the church? Re continue reading verse 4. Out of which, that is out of all this, arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, constant friction, This has nothing to do with conforming to godliness. And this is what Paul is warning them about. Don't wrangle about words. Look on over in chapter 6 there. Go down to verse 20 and 21 where he says, O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter. Avoid it. And the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. Avoid these things. Avoid these things. In fact, over in Titus chapter 3, well, I'll tell you what, go to, go to, uh, go to 2 Timothy again. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2 again. And go down just a little further in chapter 2 and pick it back up in verse 23 where he, he writes to Timothy and he says, refuse. And that word there for refuse in verse 23 means do not engage. It's like a wrestling match. He's saying don't engage them in a wrestling match. Refuse to engage in foolish and ignorant speculations. Why? Knowing this is what they're going to produce, quarrels. It's just going to produce quarrels. Refuse to engage in that. But here's what you should do, Timothy, verse 24. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, 
and with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil having been held captive by him to do his will. Paul is saying, Timothy, refuse to engage these men about this because if you do, all it's going to do is produce quarrels in the church. Instead, you make sure you're not going to be quarrelsome, but you're going to be kind, you're going to be patient, but you are going to speak and correct them. But as you speak and correct them, you understand, Timothy, your own argument is not what's going to be that's going to convince them. It's going to be God who has to convince them of that. It is God who has to grant them repentance that leads to the knowledge of the truth. It is God that must rescue them from the snare of the devil. It's not going to be in your arguments, Timothy. It's going to be in me, God says. So that's how you can make the commitment that you're not going to be quarrelsome, but kind to all, patient, correcting with gentleness, knowing that it is God who must grant this. This is what he's speaking about here, avoiding those kind of conversations. He's saying there, don't give a platform to false teaching. You hear this. And you have, to, you have to apply this in your own heart and life. Now, I can apply this for us as a church, that is, to make sure no one's going to come stand up here behind this pulpit and preaching false doctrine. But I can't go home with you. And I can't watch you and, and make sure you don't turn it on to a, a TV station or a radio station or you pick up a book somewhere that has false teaching that can lead you astray, that's going to be wrangling about words, questioning the veracity of Scripture. You have to make sure for even your own life that you are being faithful to what Paul is saying here, that you are going to avoid, you're going to refuse to engage in this. You're going to stay away from it. Because all it will lead to is just quarreling. A quarreling first in your heart and then a quarreling that will take place outside with others. Leading to speculation. I would encourage you to be very, very careful. Beware. If someone is constantly or often coming up with novel ideas, coming up with speculations, claims that God is giving them things, theories, stay away. Avoid it. Avoid those kinds of things. Really, what God's Word says here is he says to Timothy, Timothy, remind the church about these things. Remind the church what it is they're supposed to be doing. But don't just remind them of that. Also require the church stop wrangling about words there. Refuse to engage them yourself, Timothy. And not only that, you may have to actually rebuke this person and eventually reject this person. Look with me over in the book of Titus for just a moment. Go to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3 and verse 9, 
Paul here writing to Titus, who's going around setting things order in all the churches there in the area of Crete, he says in verse 9, avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and they're worthless. Avoid those things, Titus. And then he goes on to say in verse 10, reject a factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. He says, Titus, if there's somebody there in the church that wants to keep wrangling about words, and they want to keep on and keep on and keep on, and they want to get into foolish controversies, he says, rebuke him, warn him once, warn him twice. If he will not heed the warning, he says, reject this man because he's a factious man. He's perverted in his thinking. And we know that Paul was willing to do this because if you recall back in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 20 where there were some folks that were teaching some things they weren't supposed to be doing, Paul removed them. He rejected them. And this is what he said. Why would you go to such extremes? Because of what God's word is saying here. You see, in the church, in the church, we cannot be like Fox News. We're not here to be fair and balanced. That is, we're not here to be like the old show the way it used to be, Hannity and Combs, where you have the one side, the conservative side, and the other side you have the liberal side, and they're both just going to give their sides as, both they're, as, as though they're both equal and just let who's going to win the debate. No. We're not here to hear the false teaching side. It has no platform. It has no say. Because when you do that and you, you put them up there as though they're equal, he's saying that ends up leading to uh, questioning of God's word. It ends up leading to division in the church, just quarreling in the church. In fact, it's interesting over in the, in the book of Acts, in Acts 19 where Paul was, he came there and he was going in the synagogue and he was reasoning with the Jews there and some people got saved. And Paul kept meeting there, but the opposition became so strong there where they were meeting that Paul took them and he left. And he took them and he went to the place where they could now meet and he could teach and preach to them because Paul knew it was not going to be good and profitable for them to be gathering there. And every time they're gathering together, here's Paul saying one thing and somebody else is standing up saying another that he had to get them where he could preach and teach them the Word of God in such a way that they wouldn't be pulled astray. That's why it tells us over in 2 John, in verses 8-11 through 11 there, where he says, if someone comes to you advocating a different doctrine, stepping outside the teaching of Jesus Christ, he says, don't welcome that person, don't greet that person, don't participate in their deeds and in their teachings. It just so happened in the providence of God. Years ago, I was teaching through 2 John. And I just got through teaching about that. 
And it was a Wednesday night, and on Wednesday nights we would have a, a, a meal together, and then we would all stay there in the fellowship hall where I was pastoring, and I would teach and preach to the, to the adults that were there. And we had finished up our supper and was just getting started with our Bible study, and, and as, I was, as I was teaching there, all of a sudden a gentleman just walked in the door. And he looked pretty rough and uh, looked like a, a guy maybe had been out on the streets and and he came in and, and uh, said he was hungry and would like something to eat. And uh, we, we got him a, a bowl of soup. And we were eating there that night and, and fixed it for him and, and said, come on in, sit down and enjoy the meal. We're in the, starting our Bible study. And I got up there and I started to teach. And right in the middle of my teaching, he just starts talking out loud. And he starts refuting what I was saying. And when he did it the second time, I just said, sir, you're going to have to be quiet. And if you can't be quiet, you're going to have to leave. In fact, I said, Buster, Buster was a deacon or a trustee. Buster, if you would, if you don't mind taking this man and escorting him out and taking him back to his home or to a shelter or wherever he needs to be. But he's not going to sit here and I'm not going to give him a platform to keep saying things that are not right. It just so happens, I say, I probably had the willingness more to do that. Think about that because I just got through preaching that to the church. And this guy walks in the, the church to do that because you, you can't give a platform. Because I don't want you to ever leave here or leave in conversations that are going on and you're sitting there thinking, well, maybe this isn't true. Maybe the, maybe the Bible in this area isn't true. No, it's true. See, this is why the church over the years, and I'm not saying this, I'm not the church in general, has accepted things into the church that used to not accept. Because things came in, and it was given a platform, and it was kind of considered, and eventually it just keeps wearing on, wearing on, and wearing down. And God's Word is telling us, avoid. Avoid these unnecessary, these unprofitable conversations in the church. But let me just say this in closing. What we're talking about here is discussions we have as a part of the body of Christ, as Christians, as believers. But please understand that where this all starts is with you having a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. You see, there is no way that we can really maintain peace without the Spirit of God. Right? I mean, Galatians 5 teaches us the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. It is a fruit of the Spirit. It is a fruit of the Spirit. And how is it that we have come to have the Spirit of God in our life? It's by believing in Christ. The only way you're going to have the Spirit of God in your life that can be producing the fruit of peace is if you have first come to have peace with God. You see, every person needs peace with God. That is your greatest need. It's to have peace with God because the Bible says you are alienated from God. You're separated from God. You are an enemy of God's. You need to be reconciled to God. You say, why? 
because you're a sinner. Because the Bible says that we've all sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. The Bible says the wages of our sin is death. The Bible says that we are all naturally hostile in our minds towards God. Engaged in evil deeds. In evil deeds in the sense that we're not living our life for the honor and the glory of God. Thus, every single one of us needs to make sure that we first have peace with God. And the only way you can have peace with God is through His Son, Jesus Christ. Because Jesus was on the cross taking the sin of our hostility upon Himself. So that God's hostility and wrath towards us was poured out on Jesus when He was on the cross. And if you put your faith in Christ, if you recognize your sinfulness, if you recognize your alienation, if you recognize your hopelessness and helplessness and your sinfulness, and you turn from your sins and you genuinely put your faith in Christ and His life and His death and His resurrection, beloved, God will forgive you and reconcile with you and you will have peace with God and a peace with with God that will last forever, all eternity. And then the Spirit of God will come to live inside of you. And as He lives inside of you, He can then begin to produce this fruit of peace. Peace. Peace with others. But it first starts with a peace with God. I want to ask you to bow your heads in prayer.